not knowing that the Lord had already spoken to Phil something similarly. We would have never known that unless they came forward to share the little pieces, whether they fully understood it or not. Phil waited two weeks to share what he saw. That's maturity too. You know, he didn't, it needed to be today where Mariah shared and then he confirmed, right? We, we wait on the Spirit of God. What are you saying right now? When is this to be released? And even if we don't fully understand it, it's released in the body. And the encouragement this morning is dig into it. Go chew on it. Seek the Lord. We don't take these things lightly. You know something? We don't take these things lightly because we believe they're from the Spirit of God. And they're meant for us to chew on them, to seek God, to seek Him. What are you saying? Reveal the fullness of it, right? Yeah, so I, I, um, I kind of want to continue on this theme. Um, over the past few weeks, uh, I've, I've been getting... Um, this sensation, this feeling, I don't know why, I know nothing about farming or planting or anything, but I've been getting this sensation or this, this drive to want to start a tree farm. You know, I don't know the first thing about trees, I, I, I promise you. Um, and I actually shared this with Phil and Sue the other day. And uh, Sue was asking, well, what kind of trees? I was like, actually, I don't really know. And I've been praying on that. And I think that Actually, I got some clarity on that answer. And um, what's been coming to me is this giant forest of oak trees surrounded in mulch. And um, I didn't really even know what that meant, right? And, and, and something just kind of sparked even right now, which was why I was a little bit late to come up here and share, because it just kind of hit me. Why? Why Why the oak tree, right? The any tree, the fruit tree, could be Christmas trees. I mean, there's plenty of Christmas tree farms around here. It could make some money doing that, right? Um, the oak tree is something that takes patience and time. Something that, while it may have value at, at a sapling age, its, it's greatest value is 50, 80 years into the future. And it can be cut down for its longer, right? So, what God, I think, just put on me right now is the fact that the seeds that we're planting here, right now, the saplings that we're, we're depositing into the earth, we might not see the value of it right now. We might not see the fruit of our labor tomorrow, next week, next month. The things that we're doing here right now is for the, the next generation, for the generation after that, for 50, 80 years down the road. We pray every week for this region. And, you know, we are under the belief that we are making change here and that God is using us. But, do we know if we are going to see those changes in our lifetime? I don't know. But what I do know is that the generation after us and the generation after them is going to benefit from the fruit of what we are doing here today. So I just wanted to share that. It kind of felt really a theme with what everyone's saying. And um, it's been something that's been sitting on me lately, so... It was funny, my mom was here for like 48 hours last night, and she said, I need to plant trees on this property. <laughs> she said, I, I think it's going to draw some harvest. And I thought, interesting. Okay, I need to plant trees on the, on the property because it's going to draw harvest. Half the things that God is speaking to us don't make sense. How is planting a tree going to bring harvest in? But there's something that he's revealing to many in the body. 
He's given pieces. Thank you, God. 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 Thanks, God. Thank you, Thank you, God. And I think part of the excitement is that we don't fully know. But we keep, let's keep seeking. Let's keep listening. And he reveals more. And he reveals more. He's so good. He's so good. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I have a message that I really believe is for us today that does not have to do with all that came up during worship. But I do really believe that the Spirit of God gave me a word for us this morning. So I'm shifting gears, just so you all know. But I really want uh, to emphasize the importance of what just happened. And one thing I do want to share, too, is that we're growing into maturity where it's not about a feeling, right? Um, oh, yeah, I'm just jumping up and down. I'm feeling so pumped by the Holy Ghost to go share, whatever. Those are great. I love being moved by the Spirit of God. But sometimes we don't feel it and we just stir it up and we just listen and we just release and hear what he's saying and then we take it seriously and we start to pray. We seek him together as a community for what he's releasing and that's why we give time for that it's so important that we each give our yes to release what god is saying to us whether big or small whether we understand it fully or not that we begin to release it together so we hear him collectively through the body and take it seriously that it's not just one person up here that has a message every sunday and we take it seriously. It's the body together receiving from the Spirit of God inside of us to reveal the strategy of God, to reveal the plan of God, to reveal His purposes in this land. And each person in this family is meant to be part of that in one way or another in many ways. Amen? So whether you journal and want to write down, take note of what's happened or it's been recorded, maybe, hopefully, if not, I would write down some notes and then start to look into it. Show me more. And as we gather, let's see what the Spirit of God speaks to us over the next handful of weeks. Because He's clearly set us on a trajectory. And we need to pay attention because something big is coming. And we're just taking those steps of faith. This morning, um, there's been something rolling in my heart for about four weeks now that the Spirit of God just keeps giving me this word over and over and over again. And in regard to freedom in Christ, we've been talking about freedom. And what is freedom in Christ, right? I, I hope we haven't forgotten. Peter said that he constantly was, I don't know if you remember the scripture I read, he wrote to the church and he said, I will make it my life calling to remind you, this is paraphrasing, remind you of the gospel message. That is your freedom. I want. I need to remind you over. Even though I, I know you already know it. That's what he said. Even though you already know this message, I'm going to tell it over and over and over again. So when I'm gone, you'll be steady. You'll be grounded. It was extremely important. We have first principles groups. I, I mean, many of us have been part of our study groups. First principles. Those are the the outworkings of the gospel in our life. If we have the first principles without the revelation of the gospel, we will be worse. Well, all we'll be doing is worse. Trying harder. Trying to change things. And sometimes in those groups, people are like, man, it just feels like I have to change, 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 do, 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 do. If that's the mindset, it's what's lacking is revelation of the gospel. Because what the gospel produces in us are these things called the first principles. As children of God, we walk in them. We've been talking about freedom. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me four weeks ago about and said, and he made something very clear. Repentance is necessary for freedom. 
And oftentimes we hear the word repentance and it has a negative connotation, right? Which it should not. That is a God-given word and ideas and thing that we need to walk in. It's a beautiful word. It's a wonderful word. It's an incredible, life-giving word. Repentance is necessary for freedom. We've been talking about how Jesus gave us victory. He's made us new. That's a big one. He has made us new. He has disarmed our enemies. He has given us authority in Christ. And this is all incredible news, right? We've been just hammering how good this news is, that we're new, we're free, we have victory, we have authority in Jesus. But I think the important piece is that lest we think that we have to do nothing now. That is a false idea. This, that gospel message that's all throughout here is not saying, oh, just don't do anything now. Christ did it all. Just don't do anything. You're okay. You're okay the way that you are. Just live it out. That is a false message, and that goes into Buddhism. That goes into universalism. That goes into a bunch of false religions that say that everything you do is good. That's not true. You have been made new. I have been made new. But we must understand repentance as a part of the process of walking in the fullness of freedom. If you think about Stu's message a few weeks ago, he talked about briefly about the promised land, right? And we talk about in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is extremely important to Revelation of the New Testament. The Old Testament was foreshadowing, it was speaking, all of it was speaking to what was about to come. That's how incredibly intricate our God is. Every single thing that was happening from the beginning of time leading up to Jesus was speaking of Jesus coming and what it was going to look like. Makes reading the Old Testament very exciting. One of those pictures was the promised land. Israel was given a land that was promised to them, an inheritance. And Stu mentioned how many times people in the body had said, well, that's heaven. But that doesn't line up because in the promised land, in the Old Testament, there were enemies in the land that the Israelites had to clear out. The land was already theirs, says the Lord, said the Lord. Victory was already theirs, said the Lord. It belonged to them. It was their inheritance. But there were enemies in the land. And what they had to go and do was remove the enemies. They had war. Real, legitimate war. Swords and everything. Killing men, women, and children. That's intense. They had to clear the land out. This is a picture of our inheritance of freedom in Christ. The promise the inheritance that we have been given. We've already been given victory. The land is already yours. But there might be some enemies in our land that need to be cleared out. We've talked about um, breaking agreement with those enemies. Right? Pushing those off my land. This is my land. We're talking about natural land. We're talking about land. This is my land. And I'm pushing enemies off my land. I already have the victory over them. I already have authority over them. I'm already made new. So if there's something in there that's not looking new, I'm pushing that thing right off my land. And those enemies have been disarmed through the cross. But there was work. War is work. War is making a choice. It's saying, I don't agree with you anymore. You are not me. Get off my land. You have to do something. I have to do something to clear out that land. Work, sometimes, we think of that as a bad word. I don't want to work. I just want to rest. Rest. Is it rest what we're inheriting? It is. But you know, we all know, in the garden, Adam was commissioned, commended to work the land before the curse happened, before sin entered. He was to take care of the animals, to take care of the land. It's a God-given design. It's not 
what the curse brought was it that it would be laborious and arduous and painful and hard. That's the curse. Work is not the curse. Work was part of our design from the beginning in perfect Garden of Eden. Because our God is a worker. What when it is not, when it's part of the curse is when you feel it's painful, arduous, laborious, and I don't want to do this. That's part of the curse, and that's been broken. This is part of our design. It's a God calling. And the work is repentance. And scripture shows us. The work is repentance. So we're going to talk about what is repentance, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Because maybe... You understand repentance differently than I understand repentance differently than what the scripture teaches is repentance. So what is repentance? In the Old Testament, there's no actual Hebrew word that's equivalent to the English term repentance. It was expressed by a number of different actions that show a change in thinking and a change in your attitude towards sin and your perception of God. Okay? actions that show you had a change of thinking and that you had a change of attitude towards sin which means you hate it your attitude changed you don't love it anymore you hate sin i hate sin because of repentance and my attitude towards god i love god i love his disciplines i love his ways my attitude is shifting Repentance may be de demonstrated by, and this was in the Old Testament, a public display of mourning over sin where they would be weeping. They'd be putting ashes on their heads, tearing their gar garments and their hair. Oh my God, we're under the new covenant, right? Wearing sackcloth, making restitution for wrongs committed, so paying back whatever wrong was made. Abasing oneself before the wronged party. So remember Jacob and his brother. He bowed how many times? I think seven before Esau to, to repent before him, to show that his attitude and his heart had changed. The Hebrew word that most closely approximates to repent or repentance is translated into the English word return, which basically means to turn around and go in the opposite direction. In theological context, the implication is to turn from a road that's characterized by rebellion toward God into a road that's characterized by obedience. So we're moving. Repentance is saying, I'm not doing my own thing anymore. I'm not rebellious in my heart toward God. That's not me. I'm repenting and I'm turning toward God. In my road now, you're going to see fruit of obedience. Where my, my life is surrendered to God and you're going to see me. Be obedient to the Lord. The emphasis is on actions that proceed from turning one's orientation toward God. Actions are rooted in our thinking and believing. You will, you and I, we will not be able to change if we believe a lie. You won't. I don't, it does not matter how much we try, how much we work to try to change my attitude, to try to change. I mean, I did it for years, but I was believing lies and I didn't realize I was believing lies and I was just trying to deal with the fruit of my life. But it, the fruit of my life was not consistently changing. I might have been like, ooh, I got it for a little bit and then walked back again. And I got it for a little bit and then walked back again. That's not true repentance. That only shows that we're still believing a lie that's keeping us rooted and bound by something. That's what Jesus came to set us free from. In the New Testament, the Greek word for repentance in the Bible is, I don't know how to pronounce it, but something like meta metanoia. Greek dictionaries define it as to think differently. Repentance is to think differently. We're not believing a lie anymore. I'm thinking differently, according to truth. To reconsider, to change one's mind, to repent. That's how it's defined. It's in the mind. 
So often in repentance, what we understand it is changing my actions. And we focus so hard on changing what I'm doing. But what you are doing is rooted in a belief that you have. And you have to check your beliefs. If you are trying to change something in your life, check what you believe. Don't just try to control your bondage. That's what I did. Because that's how I understood it. I thought I had to work harder and harder and harder to try to change these things that I recognized were not good. Right? I, I knew the Bible. I knew that anger was not good. I knew that that wasn't from the Spirit of God. But for some reason, I just kept going back to it and going back. And then I'd be free. Free. I do quotes, but I wasn't really free. I was free from it for a little bit. And then I'd be back in it. And then I'd have an outburst of anger again. Then I'd control it a little more. Control it a little more. Thinking, wow, I'm really maturing because I'm really able to control this anger. <laughs> my, my understanding was not aligned with the truth of the gospel. And I was believing a lie. And that lie kept that root of anger in me. And I was just kind of muscling it. You know, just grit and bear it. Let me try as hard as I can. Do you realize that's what Paul warned the Galatians about? He said that was a false gospel. To be circumcised again. To do something in your own strength outwardly, externally, to prove an inward reality. He said that that is a false, distorted gospel. Read Galatians, the whole book. Front Front to back, just read the book. He said that that was a distorted gospel. It was not the real thing. Because Jesus, he said, it's for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't be enslaved again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, you can walk in freedom and actually live in that freedom and not keep going, man, I'm here again. Man, I'm here again. Man, I'm here again. That's not real freedom. That is not what Jesus died for. He did not die that we would be halfway free and struggle our way into eternity. There's a greater calling for the body of Christ that we would do business in the land like we did this morning. That we would grow in that way, in our maturity, in hearing God, partnering with Him in what He's doing, and not being so self-focused on all my issues... That's what the enemy's doing. He's lying to us. So then we're just bound and all I can see is all the bad fruit in my life. And then all I'm working on is the bad fruit in my life, which will perpetuate you into a cycle for the rest of your life trying to do damage control until eternity. And the lie is, well, that's just how it's supposed to be. Just keep fighting it. Don't worry, God's giving you the strength to fight it. We, we come up with even Christian ideas around it that are not found when we look at what, the God, what Paul was preaching, what Peter was writing to the, the churches. That is not what they were writing. They said, Paul said a famous passage that we know, the wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities spiritual things in high places. Stop wrestling with yourself, your flesh and blood, over and over and over again until heaven. That's a lie. If you believe that lie, you will be stuck. We will be stuck in a perpetual cycle of bondage that we were never meant to live in, that Jesus set us free from. In Hebrews 6.1, this is basic Christianity. We've got to understand it before we can move forward and build as a church, which is what we want to be, right? We want to be a ruling body of believers in maturity. We've got to understand this before we can get there. It says, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation 
of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That, to the writer of Hebrews, was immaturity. That was like the basic, well, not immaturity. That was like the foundation. That was the very beginning. Let's not lay that again and have to keep going back. Let's understand. But I think, I mean, in my life anyway, I'm like, it's taken me how many years? I've got, I gave my life to the Lord at five years old. I'm 36 years old. And I'm just understanding real repentance from dead works. That's kind of sad. 31 years of thinking that these bondages were me and just trying to dead work it, right? I'm working, but it's dead works. Because it's saying laying a foundation of repentance from dead works to faith towards God, believing that he set me free from these things. Believing that they are not part of me anymore. Believing that anger is not part of me. I'm going to use anger because that was one that I really dealt with. It was a major in my life. Lisa mentioned some others. Anxiety, depression, panic. I mean, you put yours in there. Whatever, lust. You could be bound by any of these things. I'm going to say anger, but you just insert what it is. Jesus set me free from anger. Anger is not part of my new identity in Christ anymore. I do not have to work to try to control anger. The work is repentance. It's to change my mind about what anger is. And to say, Holy Spirit, where is the lie? What lie am I believing that has become a root to this thing? There's a major difference between dead works and God work. We're called to God work. And I think because we hamper on the dead works, that we think work, all work is dead. <laughs> all work is striving. That's false. That's not true. There's dead works and then there's a God work. God work is standing in the work that Christ has done. It's to believe. That's what the scripture says. The work now is to believe. And for some reason, we just don't want to do that. That, for some reason, is harder to us. And I think it's because the enemy has been lying to us, saying it's harder to believe God than to just work it out yourself. You know, just, just, just do it. That was me. I, I was the queen of dead works. <laughs> Because it was a works mentality. It was the orphan mentality. I was working to try to get free myself, even though I didn't really understand. No, no, you're free. Things are stealing from you. Good news, you have victory over those things. Anger, it's a spirit of anger that is stealing from you. Repent for your agreement with anger, and victory is yours. Kick anger off your land and it has no right to come back unless you or I make agreement with it. The enemy has no authority over your life. He has no authority over my life unless I give it to him. And just like in the garden, Adam and Eve gave authority over to the enemy through their choice. They chose to disobey. They chose to believe a lie, right? First step, chose to believe a lie resulted in disobedience and enslavement of sin. The only way we become enslaved again to the bondage of sin is by our agreement. We can be free. We can be free today. You can be free. I can be free right this moment because Jesus paid the price for my freedom. And I have to recognize the truth and break agreement with the lie and say, you get off my land. I have authority over you through the cross of Jesus Christ. In John 6, 26 to 30, this was right after the miracle of feeding the 5,000, okay? So... Jesus just fed 5,000 people with two loaves and three fish. Was that it? I can't remember the number. Anyway, you guys know. 
It was a very little amount of fish and bread. And he fed 5,000 people. Major miracle, right? Well, listen what happens directly after this feeding with all the people who ate of that miraculous bread. Jesus answered to them, the crowds, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, meaning the 5,000 of the bread and multiplication, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do not, okay, catch that. Do not work for food that perishes, but work. For something that Jesus gives you. It's a much easier work, right? In case you missed that. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give for give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? The work of God. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Very clear. This is the work of God, that you believe him. John 6, 26 to 30. This is the work of God, this is verse 29, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in Jesus, that's the work. So they said to him, what then are you doing as a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? They just saw a major miracle. And he's saying, just believe. This is the work of God. Believe. Believe in Jesus. All that he is, all that he's done. Believe in me, he's saying. And they're like, prove it. Show us another sign so that we can believe. How many times in our lives are we the same way? God, show, I mean, I'm a poster child for that as well. My journals are filled with God just show. I mean, he showed me so many signs and then it's like another juncture. God, just show me a sign. Just show me that you're with me. I feel so alone. He's just like, I can't imagine. I mean, he's so kind and good. It's like, he's probably like, oh my goodness, child. Okay, and he did. He showed, he was so gracious. He kept showing me little signs here and there all throughout my life. My life is full of them to build my faith. But it got to a point, there was one specific moment in my life when, when he was calling me to Haiti. And I had every excuse in the book. And then I said, God, confirm it to me. I need this, this, and this to happen because that's how I always make my big decisions. Confirm it through this, this, and this. And he said, Wesley, my sheep hear my voice and recognize it. You know I am the one speaking to you. And I was so convicted. And I know he's not giving me a sign. I know his voice. This is his voice. I'm going to walk in it. And I made a decision that day. I'm moving to Haiti. I don't care if I have any other confirmation. I know that I know that I've heard God speak because I am His. And I know His voice. And He spoke to me. So many times we just keep asking for a sign, which a lot of that is rooted in doubt. Hey, maybe there's a lie there that you need to kick out and break agreement with so you stop doubting that God's going to lead you, direct you, that he has your back. Maybe there's a lie there that says God doesn't have your back. Lisa named a bunch of lies when she was up here. Those are all lies. They're lies from the enemy. He is a masterful liar. The Bible calls him the father of all lies. When there are lies in my heart and in my mind, they are not coming from me. I'm not a liar. I'm a child of God. The spirit of truth lives in me. So if there's a lie, if there's something that does not line up with Scripture, it's not me. It's coming from the father of lies to deceive and keep me in bondage. And the work of repentance is to believe, to turn my thinking. 
I am believing a lie, and now I'm believing truth. I repent, God, for my agreement with this lie. It is not what you say about me. It's not what your word says about me. That is a lie, and I renounce it in Jesus' name. And I agree with the truth. What you say about me, what you say is true about me, what your word says about me, I receive that. When you anger, get off my land in Jesus' name. You doubt and unbelief, that is not me. Anything that causes me to doubt the goodness of God is a liar. It's a liar. Anything that causes doubt is a spirit of doubt and unbelief. It has no right to you. It has no right to me. Good news. But we must repent. The work that we have is to turn my thinking. I'm thinking this way, and I'm saying, whoa, that is not the way of the kingdom. That is not what Scripture says. This is what the Spirit of God says. And I'm making agreement with truth. That is my inheritance. This land belongs to me. I'm the one in authority in Christ here. Oftentimes, we treat repentance like an apology that requires nothing. No change of thinking or behavior. Because you can't, or you, or you might just try to change your behavior, like I was talking about. But sometimes it's just like, I'm sorry. That's my repentance. That is not repentance. It's something we do to avoid consequences, right? Well, the consequence of this is not looking good, so I'm going to repent or say sorry. But nothing changes. If nothing is changing, it's not true repentance. And the reason, and, and it's not, oh, I've got to just grit and bear it and change my uh, actions. It's, where's my thinking wrong? Where am I not believing truth? What's in here that's lying to me? Let me change that and then watch the fruit flow from my life. The fruit of repentance. Where my behavior begins to change. Doing that type of apology where we just say sorry to avoid consequences, it might work temporarily. We all know it would only be temporarily in our natural relationships. But does not work in regard to freedom in Christ. Because that's not the way that he said that it is to be. Repentance is to change the way that you think. It's not just verbalizing something. It's not just changing your behavior and working at that. It's dealing with the lie. We had friends here this past week, and they randomly started talking about a dandelion. And I thought, oh, this is goes right along with everything God is saying. I don't even know why we were talking about it. It was the Spirit of God. He just randomly brought it up. If you want to get rid of a dandelion, you can't just rip it out. It has a tap root, and it will keep growing back. And I thought, what's a tap root? It's a root that a dandelion has that goes down up to 10 to 15 feet deep. If you rip a dandelion out and don't get the root, it's going to just keep on growing back. That's what it looks like. That's what it looked like for me with anger. I'm ripping out anger. A month later, it's back. I rip out anger. Two months later, it's back. I'm not dealing with the root. There's a tap root there. The root is the lie. And I got to go deep, pull out that root. And it's not going to grow back. That is true freedom. That is true freedom when you deal with the root. It's usually a taproot. Is, it's a large, central, dominant root from which other roots sprout laterally. So not only will it have the evidence of, in my life, anger, but then there's a bunch of other roots growing from that root that's resulting in frustration, annoyance. I'm just getting annoyed all the time at everything. I'm frustrated all the time at everything. That is not a child of God. That is not the spirit of God. 
We are to be in the earth reflecting another kingdom. The Spirit of God in us reflecting who He is in the earth, not living perpetually in anger, depression, worry, lust, whatever the bondage is. You name whatever it is. Grab that thing by the root. What is the lie that I'm believing? You can't be free until you do it. No matter how much you dislike the behavior, because I can tell you I wept. I wept over my anger issue. I hated it. It wasn't even that I loved it. It wasn't like, well, I don't care. It was like, I hate this. I love Jesus, and I hate this thing, and it just keeps coming back, and I don't know why. I think we can all relate, right? Usually the bondage in your life, you hate it. You're not like, oh, who cares? We love the Lord, so we hate the bondage. He's giving us a key in this hour, the gospel, that says, break the lie, take that thing out, and it never comes back again. I'm telling you. Anger, I kicked out, it left, and the constant voice in my head that was bickering, up, 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 and me going back to calm down. I thought it was me. That was the lie I was believing, one of them. Calm down, Wesley. It's not that big of a deal. Relax. This doesn't look like the Holy Spirit. This isn't true. Right? I'm telling what I thought was myself the truth. Well, that spirit of anger was not listening to me tell the truth. It just went up, 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 up. I broke the lie that anger was me and a part of me and I pushed that thing off my land and it never came back again. And my mind is at peace. Good news makes you a lot more excited about the cross. I'm free and free indeed, like Jesus said. It's actually becoming reality in my life. Makes you lot that joy of the Spirit that's inside of you just bubbles over. That peace of the Spirit begins to bubble over. And it's not me striving to be joyful, striving to be peaceful. I'm free, and so joy is there. I'm free, so peace is there. My circumstances might not change. I might still have, in fact, you will, I will, have tribulation, trial, hardship. We will have those things externally. Inwardly, I can be content, as Paul said. He had some sort of understanding of the gospel. Content no matter what he was facing, he said. Whether he had abundance or lack, completely content. That's the Spirit of God. That's freedom. Freedom from the bondage of this world. So just to end here, I'm just going to give some examples of some lies that we might be believing. And I'll just use it for my own example, for my own story. I'm going to say anger, but like I said, just put in whatever your thing is. One of the lies I believe is anger is just a part of who I am. And I believed it was because well, this was true. My dad had an affair on my mom with a woman in our church, 12 kids, you know, this, this beautiful Christian family that was always... And then my dad had this secret affair for two years, left our family, and married the woman. And I became very angry. And this is how our enemy works. He does not play fairly. I was an eight-year-old girl, Right? That's not fair. I was little. I had no understanding. The enemy came in with a very big lie because of a real life situation that happened, and he took advantage. And I was like, look, God doesn't love you. How could God be good if your dad had an affair? Why didn't God stop your dad from having an affair? Two years, everyone was praying, and he didn't come back. He's been married 25 years now. God wasn't faithful. God didn't care. Those are all lies. 
But as an eight-year-old girl, I believed every single one of them. I made agreement with them because I didn't know. I didn't understand. That's how awful our enemy is. Right? He's awful. We hate him. I hate him. So then I believed it was part of me. Because it came in in a situation in my life, I thought that anger was part of me. We're just rolling around because of a very traumatic situation that happened in my family. So maybe you've had an experience in your life where the enemy took advantage of you and he lied to you in that moment and that became your taboo. And because it's been part of your life since you were a child like me, you think it's part of you. Like I thought it was part of me. It's not. It's a lie. Get rid of the taboo. Or the lie could be I have a right to be angry. And this could be because of the external circumstances. And that's what I also believe. I have a right to be angry. Look what happened in my life. Not only did my dad leave and all this stuff, but there were some terrible situations I remember as a child. I won't go into the details here because I love both my parents very much and there's been repentance there. But there were some terrible things that happened. I remember hiding in my room under blankets, sobbing because of it. And I had this, I have a right to be angry. Look what's happened in my life. That's a lie of the enemy. That's a lie. I don't have a right to be angry. Jesus set me free. He forgave me, and he forgave my dad, and he forgave my dad's wife, and he forgave every single person as part of that is good. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to forgive them. To release them. That's a, so that's a lie. The enemy convinces us we have a right. Another lie that I believe is anger is just a link to my personality type. <laughs> I'm a very strong personality. I'm just prone to anger because of how my personality is. That's a lie. It's a big lie. God didn't make personalities that are prone or that are just angry, innately sinful. I have to fight this anger for the rest of my life until I get to heaven and I'm finally free. That was another lie I believed. Or I have to do X, Y, and Z to control my anger. And that was because people told me that. With good intention. These were people who loved me deeply. But they just said, well, read your Bible more, pray more, go to church, fast. Deny your flesh. Calling that anger with my flesh. And that's what I tried to do and it did not work. It was a perpetual cycle. I have to do all these things so I can be a good Christian. That was my goal. A good spouse, good child. If we have an agreement with these lies, that taproot is not being dealt with. We have simply entered into a perpetual ripping out of the dandelion, only to see it pop right back up again weeks or months later. So I, I, I want to emphasize here, the work has been done through the cross. Our work is repentance. Repentance is not a negative word. It's a wonderful word because I can say, God, I'm changing. I thought this was, I was believing this long that my certain, that my upbringing, that my dad leaving gave me a right to be angry. And I am changing the way that I think because I see what truth says. And I'm making agreement with truth. And not only am I making agreement with truth, I'm saying, anger. You are not me. You're not my inheritance. You don't belong on my land. You have to stop stealing from me right now because I am a child of the living God and the peace of God is my portion so you get off my land in Jesus' name. And you know that thing has to go. And I, I want to just end by saying this last, last thing. This is for every born-again believer. If you're not saved yet, you don't have the authority to kick off off your land. You have to be born again is what the scripture says. And that gift is a free gift. And when you're born again, that stuff has to go. You have all authority in Jesus by the blood. The promised land is yours. Victory is yours. It is your inheritance. Peace is your inheritance. So you ask the Lord this week, Holy Spirit, what is stealing from me? What is stealing from me and what is the lie that I have believed? Because I'm about to change my mind. I'm going to repent. 
I'm going to change the way that I think. I'm going to agree with truth. As long as you agree, I can't say it enough, as long as you agree with a lie, that thing will not leak. It's a taproot that has grounding in you, It's grounding in me. We have to repent from it and break agreement. If you need, if you recognize like, oof, yep, I'm agreeing with some lies. Situations happened in my life and it's made it very hard for me to believe the truth. If you have a difficulty in that, just come approach some of our leaders and we will help you. I would be delighted to help anyone in this family walk into freedom and help break those lines and help you come into agreement with truth. We are seeing, there are people that we've met with throughout the week that are saying, I want this, and they're getting set free. We're going to have testimonies coming in the coming weeks because people are getting set free from this happening. Recognizing truth, breaking agreement with lies, Stepping into authority and saying, watch me roar. I'm a child of God. And you know what's the most exciting thing about this? Is as we do that, we will, as of this gathering on Sunday morning, is going to become explosive. As we're going to be more and more free. And we're going to be able to more more, more free to do business in the land. Because we're not just fighting this stuff, right? We're actually able to focus on it. Amen? So Jesus, we thank you that you've made a way. You've given us victory. You disarmed our enemies. You've said the work is repentance, that the work is to believe. We agree with truth right now. We ask for the spirit of truth. I ask. As a leader and overseer of this family, I ask for the spirit of truth to wash over this family and expose every taproot lie, every lie that we've believed. Thank you, Holy Spirit, to bring it into the light and bring us into freedom. Thank you, truth. That's what it says. The truth will set us free. The truth will set us free. So we welcome the spirit of truth right here and we break agreement with lies. You will not steal from us any longer. You won't steal from me, my marriage, my family, or my church family any longer. We are drawing a line in the sand no more. No more. Lord, thank you for this. I pray that you would help us to see that every time we look at scripture, that you'd give us greater and greater understanding, revelation. Whoa, I'm seeing it. Every place where the enemy is blinding us, every place where we don't see it, open up our eyes. We welcome the light of God to shine in us and show us the truth that we could be fully free. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.